Hello. Do you know, it is such a privilege um, to be able to connect with you like this today uh, during a time when our connections with each other are so limited. We're now in our series, uh, Making Disciples, and this week we're going to look at learning as disciples of Jesus during times when we are under pressure, when we are in hardship. And I'm going to start with a bit of a story. So come with me in your imagination to Jerusalem, 600 years before the birth of Jesus, where we find a downtrodden prophet making his way through the back streets of the city towards the river and the city walls. He wends his way through the dusty streets towards the place where he will find the potter's house tucked away. And on finding it, he bends to enter and he blinks as his eyes adjust to the cloudy, dust-filled light. Towards the back of the shop, he can just about make out the shape of the potter, his head bowed and attentive, his skillful hands encircling the rotating lump of clay. He's keeping it centred and he's sluicing it regularly with water from a nearby vessel. The, the, the prophet watches the potter as he presses his thumbs deep into the very centre of the clay. And he's beginning the process of opening it. And as he watches the potter, he expands the shape of the clay, gently coaxing it upwards, constantly applying pressure with his fingers to the inside and the outside of this new emerging pot. As the wheel turns and clay slip spatters the prophet's sandals, he silently connects the process he's watching with God's plans and intentions for his people. There on the potter's dusty floor, he watches the subtleties of God's message unfold to him. House of Israel, can I treat you as this potter treats his clay? Just like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, House of Israel. Images like this of clay and pots and pottery are repeated several times throughout the Bible. Oftentimes the clay image is used to refer to us. It's not very glamorous, but there it is. So we find this passage in Jeremiah is reflected in other Bible passages. Isaiah, for example, takes up the theme. He takes it up several times, in fact. In chapters 29, 45 and 64, we are referred to as clay in the potter's hands. And in Romans 9, we are called lumps of clay. And in Romans 6 and 2 Timothy 2, we are called clay pots, jars of clay or earthen vessels. Since we are likened to clay in the potter's hand in several places in scripture, understanding a little about the pottery making process is revealing. The Hebrew word yatsar is the word used in the Jeremiah passage. It's used to refer to the way the potter is working the clay. It's the same word that is translated formed in those Genesis creation accounts where we read, and the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground. Yatsar. 
It means forming something into a specific shape, moulding it, stretching it, squeezing it, pressing it, kneading it, even pounding it. Jeremiah watched as the potter formed Yatsard, the clay. Perhaps Paul had that in mind when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8, we are hard pressed on all sides. I wonder if you've ever felt Yatsard, squeezed, hard pressed, stretched. What's the source of your pressure right now? What are you feeling squeezed by? I think it's fair to say that there's been a time, uh, that there's never been a time, at least in our lifetime, when we've gone through a global crisis quite like this one. A time when all over the world, people are being squeezed all at the same time. We're all experiencing the same kinds of pressures. Many people are experiencing unusual, unexpected hardship due to the impact of this pandemic. There are people in our local communities who are facing financial hardship or whose businesses are collapsing. There's an increase in mental health, fear and anxiety. We have people in our own church community who are daily facing the frontline pressures of working in hospitals and in care homes. And many of our parents are dealing with the unexpected pressure of homeschooling whilst they're working from home. Most of us have been separated from our children and our grandchildren, um, our loved ones, for an extended period. Jonathan and I haven't seen uh, some of our children and grandchildren since last July. And believe it or not, it is nearly a full year since we last met together as a church on a Sunday. At the same time, there have been the normal everyday life pressures, the challenges and troubles that we face um, every day. Beloved people in our church family have experienced life-changing events since we last met together, both happy and sad. Babies have been born. Loved ones have passed away. There have been marriages and there have been marriage breakups. People have been through sorrow, sadness, turmoil, grief, confusion and disappointment. And while some of us have benefited wonderfully from the amazing National Health Service that we, uh, that, that we can benefit from, others have been diagnosed with life-changing health conditions or suffered life-changing injury since we last met together. And yet, in the midst of all of this, we have seen some extraordinary and inspirational stories. It's clear that for so many of us, this has been a time for really digging into our relationship with Jesus. Many of the stories we hear are, yes, about pressures and hardship and difficulty, but also about finding God in the midst of that difficulty, learning to lean into God during this time. To be honest, I think that many of you could deliver this message today, learning during pressure. And I truly believe that when we do eventually meet together, we will in many ways be unrecognisable, a transformed people, conformed, if you like, to a different shape, never the same. God is at work in us as individuals and as a body, his church, to reshape us. We are being yatsard 
pressed, squeezed, moulded, pounded under pressure. So none of us like pressure, do we? Hardship or difficulty, they are difficult things, but it's a fact of life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you, as though something strange and unexpected were happening to you. Yet sometimes I think we are surprised, aren't we? Even indignant. Come on, let's be honest. We ask, why is this happening to me? If God really loves me, why is he allowing this? Sometimes, I think as Christians, we, we buy into a theology that suggests we should somehow be immune to trouble. And when it comes, we're unprepared. Or we get sucked into the prevalent worldview which is one of entitlement. It claims we all have the right to a good, trouble-free life, good health, a job that pays well. And when things go wrong, we find someone to blame. The government, the health service, the education system, even God. Well, Isaiah tells us in no uncertain terms that we have this the wrong way around. You turn things upside down, he says, as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it? Stop, you're doing that wrong. What are you doing? When you're under pressure, do you ever wonder what on earth God is doing? I know I do. Do you ever wonder why? I know I do. Have you ever told God he's got it wrong? <laughs> I know I have. So what does it look like to have this the right way round? Given that pressure, hardship and difficulty will come and given Yatsar that we can be formed and moulded and shaped by pressure, how can we best position ourselves as disciples of Jesus to respond well under pressure? You know, it's said that stress has become a defining feature of the 21st century, contributing to what we now know is a growing mental health crisis. But stress and pressure are not always the villains they're made out to be. Psychologists are keen to arm us with the knowledge that some stress, stress, some pressure is good, healthy and productive. It's possible to convert distress, bad and harmful stress, into something they call eustress, good and beneficial stress. So this is what they call a positive uh, pressure mindset. It reframes stressful situations as positive challenges. Of course, as is always the case, the Bible uh, gets there first over earthly wisdom and uh, with this it did too. So biblical teaching is very clear about the potential benefits of these seasons of difficulty. We find Paul, for example, exhorts us in Romans 5 to rejoice in our sufferings. 
to exalt even in our tribulations, highlighting that they bring about for us perseverance and proven character. And in James 1, we are urged to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds because the testing of our faith produces steadfastness and brings us to maturity and wholeness. We're going to look more closely at those two passages a little bit later on, but perhaps for now that's enough to persuade you that instead of a positive pressure mindset, what we need when we're learning from difficulty is a biblical pressure mindset. And if you saw Steve's recent interview with Angela Kem, you'll have heard her say that she believes that one of the things that God is wanting to do in this season is to change our mindsets, to challenge our perspectives. And I would suggest that when it comes to learning during pressure, perspective is king. This Biblical pressure mindset is modelled not only by Paul and James, as we've seen, but also by Jesus and his disciples. They would have understood Yatsar and they would have understand and understood what Jeremiah understood as he watched the clay in the hands of the potter. You see, the making and shaping of a pot is in many ways a beautiful metaphor for the process of spiritual formation or development that we call discipleship. Discipleship, it's a, a churchy kind of word, isn't it? It's rarely used outside of a church context. We might understand it better by using the word apprentice. But in Jesus' day, discipleship was much more commonly used and understood. Jesus lived his earthly life among Jewish people. He lived it in a specific context as an Orthodox Jew in an Orthodox Jewish region. And the Jews believed that the best way to live was according to the Torah, which was uh, the first five books of our Old Testament. And for Jewish boys between the age of five and ten, this meant learning all five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, all five books committed to memory by the age of 10. Imagine that, some pressure there. If a student then excelled in time, he'd apply to a well-known rabbi, a teacher of the law, in hopes of becoming one of his disciples. And if he was good enough, then the rabbi would offer him a place on his discipleship course by saying to him, come follow me. The goal of the disciple was not just to know what the rabbi knew, not just to learn what the rabbi taught. It was to be what the rabbi was. Discipleship isn't just about knowing the word of God. It's about living it out, being shaped by it, being formed by it, being changed by it. When Jesus called his disciples, he used those words, the words of a rabbi to a disciple. Come, follow me. For a rabbi to say that was one of the greatest privileges 
of their culture. So the disciples, they would have known what that meant. They would have recognised that as an invitation to leave everything of their life behind and to devote themselves to Jesus's teaching and lifestyle with the objective of becoming just like him. And when Jesus calls us, when he calls you, come follow me. He's saying just what he said to those disciples. I believe you can be like me, he's saying. I see your potential. Because of me, you have what it takes. God can use you. Learn from me, he says. Do what I do. Say what I say. Let me form you and shape you so that in becoming like me, you become fully what God has created you to be. So the disciples were called to a three-year intensive apprenticeship with Jesus. They lived, ate, walked, talked, breathed, journeyed, served and worked together. They watched and listened and learned as they witnessed Jesus under pressure. Pressure from the crowds, pressure from the authorities, pressure on his time, his energies, his space. Pressure that came as resistance, open criticism, accusation, hostility, as well as the overwhelming pressure that came from the sheer weight of human need and suffering. The crush of people wanting to see Jesus, to hear him and to be healed by him. I wonder what the disciples saw in Jesus as they watched him during these times of pressure. I think they saw that under pressure, Jesus exhibited three things. He was centred, he was secure, and he was open. He was centred on God's greater purpose. He was secure in God's love, and he was open to God's will and direction. His centredness came from knowing where he'd come from, and where he was going to. He knew he'd come from the Father and was going to the Father. We know that from reading John 16, 28. He lived his life in view of eternity, with an eternal perspective. He remained focused on what lay ahead, keeping his eyes fixed on the prize. It was this focus on the goal, this focus on things of eternal worth, that saw him through the greatest pressure of all, the cross. His security came from the absolute, immovable, sure knowledge and certainty that God loved him with a passionate, overwhelming and constant love. His openness came out of his utter trust and dependence upon that love. And his willingness to be submitted to his father's will and direction and to be poured out for purpose in acts of service and compassion. So if I take you now back to our pottery image, potters understand the importance of centering, opening and shaping in the pot making process. A lump of clay cannot become anything until it has been centred and securely uh, fixed on the potter's wheel. 
every part of the clay, every aspect of it must be lined up with the heart of the wheel so that it, it almost becomes one with the wheel. The potter takes a little water, he moistens his hands and then he presses them against the spinning clay, pushing the clay closer to the centre. It may take quite a lot of pressure to make the clay obey, something I often identify with. Centering takes time, but it's absolutely crucial to the pot making process. The potter knows when the clay is centred and secured because he can take his hands away and the clay will remain neatly, smoothly, securely and contentedly spinning on the wheel. Uncentered clay will wobble and fly off the wheel um, when the potter removes his hands from it if it's not centred. So hard times, hard times push us towards the centre. Pressure helps us focus on what really matters. It pushes us back to relying on God and it focuses our attention on the things that are truly of value. I think we're seeing evidence of that um, even now in these lockdowns as people start to recover, uh, to rediscover what's important to them. When the restrictions we're currently facing are lifted, I don't think we're going to go back to the way things were. I actually hope we're not. I think people have discovered the value once again of prioritising family, a good work-life balance, outdoor exercise, amongst other things. And I think the way people choose to live will have been changed by the events of this year. I think for us as church communities and as individual Christians, we are being challenged to look at what is really important. What in life really matters? Hard times help us to see our place and our purpose in the light of eternity. Hard times teach us, like Jesus, to focus on the eternal perspective, to set our minds on things above to keep our eyes on what is unseen. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. A biblical pressure mindset has an eternal perspective, seeing beyond the pressures of now to the glory of tomorrow. So we find in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18 therefore we do not lose heart but through our but though our outer man or person is decaying yet our inner man our inner being is being renewed day by day for this momentary and light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If we are to entrust ourselves to God's process, we need to become familiar with his character, his nature and the loving intent of his hands. So with that in mind, let's turn back to those two challenging Bible verses from Romans 5 and James 1 that I referred to earlier. Romans 5 verses 3 to 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings 
Some versions say exult in our tribulations, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Rejoice in our sufferings, exult in our tribulations, count it all joy. Is he serious? How can Paul say that? Well, I think the clue is in that word because. He can say this because the love of God has been poured out in his heart through the Holy Spirit. Just like Jesus, it's Paul's deep certainty and security in the love of God that sustains him in trouble. When he's under pressure, in danger, suffering, and believe me, Paul did suffer more than most, it was his absolute, immovable, certain and sure belief in God's deep and personal love for him that enabled him to exult in his tribulations. When he was locked up in prison with Silas, facing the prospect of punishment, even death, we see him and Silas singing praises to this God who they knew loved them and was with them and had not forsaken them. When we are really, truly and utterly convinced of God's overwhelming, constant, unconditional and unfailing, very personal love for us, we are able to trust in the circumstances we face. We are able to trust the hand and the intent of the potter. We're willing to be shaped by his hand because we really know, really do know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. God is love. Love is God. It's, it's who he is. It's his very nature. And his love finds you and seeks you out and is poured out upon you. So a biblical pressure mindset knows and trusts the loving intentions of God. And pressure helps us to grow in this. One of the things I've found most helpful in times of difficulty in my own life has been to immerse myself in, myself in the Psalms, particularly the Psalms of lament, like Psalm 13, 44, 86. You see, the Psalms are very real. They express real feelings and questions and heartache and sorrow. God wants us to be real with him. We don't have to pretend and we don't have to wait until we're out of this place of difficulty before we can expect to find God. God finds us right there in our times of pain, in our times of difficulty, in our times of pressure. He doesn't hold back waiting for us to come out of them. And the Psalms express this really, really well by leading us to God in the midst of our reality. So a lump of clay can only be a pot or a vessel or a container when it has an opening to the inside, obviously. So an opening needs to be made in it and that is done with pressure. Two thumbs pressing down into the clay to open it out. That's what make it a receptacle, something that can contain or hold something, something that has capacity. 
For us as Christians, hard times can expose us, not only um, exposing in us what is really important to us, but also exposing in us what we really believe. One of the things we learn as Jesus' disciples during pressure is how much we really do believe what we say we believe and how much we really do trust this love of God. The message version of the James passage, Count It All Joy, reads like this. I love this. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colours. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed and not deficient in any way. So pressure can expose our faith life. A biblical mindset views pressure as an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to face up to what we really believe or not. You see, profession of faith is not the same as actual belief. We say we believe things, but we live out what we really believe. And sometimes the two aren't quite the same. When difficulties expose what we really believe, that's not such a bad thing. It's how we grow in genuine faith in Christ as we put into practice what little faith we have from faith to faith, as we're told in Romans 1.17. Mustard seed faith is so powerful because it grows. We learn to trust the loving intentions of God under pressure. So if you have faith the size of a teeny tiny mustard seed, be confident the soil of pressure and difficulty will make it grow. So dig deep into trust. Put your roots in and see what happens. Pressure opens us up to our need for God and it expands our inner capacity, inner capacity much like that pot. It expands our inner capacity with steadfastness, perseverance, proven character and hope. It renews and strengthens what the Bible calls our inner self. God opens our hearts. He works on our hearts and he shapes our hearts like that vessel so that we have a capacity to contain him, to be filled with him. A biblical pressure mindset is open-hearted and willing to be shaped and expanded because it understands that God has a purpose and plan in forming us, both individually and corporately, into containers of his presence and carriers of his treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay and the capacity to pour out his love and compassion just as Jesus did into a weary world. So, just to finish up, pressure is one of the ways that God forms and moulds us in everyday life situations. I wonder how is God forming and moulding you today? How is God forming and shaping us as a church today? What is he exposing in your personal faith life and in our corporate faith life? How can you dig deeper into his love 
and put your trust more securely in his loving intention for you. Listen once more to Jesus' invitation. Come, follow me. I believe you can be like me. I see your potential. Because of me, you have what it takes. God can use you. Learn from me. Do what I do. Say what I say. Let me form you. Let me shape you. Let me make you so that in becoming like me, you become fully what God has created you to be. Oh, House of Hope Church Winchester, can I not treat you as this potter treats his clay? Just like clay in his hand, so are you in my hand, says God. So I'm just going to close with a prayer. Lord, we invite you, we invite you as individuals and as a church community to shape us for whatever the future holds. Position us, Lord, for life after lockdown. Like Jesus and his disciples, we want to grow to be more centred on your greater purpose, more secure in your love and more open to your will and direction in Jesus' name. Amen.